Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, it is an open line Friday. I, I got to begin with just a quick note. Uh, Covenant School in Nashville, they've gone back to school and they had chapel. And as the kids went into the chapel, they were greeted by one of the brightest rainbows I've ever seen. Uh, It was not just any rainbow, it was a double rainbow. And the bottom part of it was just remarkably bright. Um, Everyone commenting who was there on just how incredible this rainbow was that everyone saw. Eh, Coincidence, providential, depends on your worldview. Prayers for them. I'm going to switch up gears a little bit because uh, my buddy Dan McLaughlin, baseball crank on Twitter, has written an invaluable piece at National Review. In fact, uh, my apologies. We'll get it in the show notes for Monday. I'll make sure Philip gets the show notes for Monday. I tweeted it out now if you want to find it. Uh, but I just, I, I, a mutual friend of ours sent it to me and says, Have you seen what Dan wrote? You're going to love this, and, and I do, and I want to want to spend some time on this because he covers something that we have talked about on this program. From Dan McLaughlin at National Review, for years now, border and immigration hawks have used the term invasion to describe the stream and sometimes flood of illegal immigrants across the Mexican border into the United States. I have long considered this to be hysterical and counterproductive rhetoric. Individuals, even when aggregated in large numbers, do not amount to an invasion. The same is true even when criminal gangs are involved. There are better ways to describe the erosion of our national sovereignty created by porous borders and spotty and indifferent enforcement of our laws. Non-state actors, however, can indeed be invaders if they are sufficiently organized and directly challenging a sovereign's control of its territory. The United States treated Pancho Villa as such an invader after he attacked New Mexico in 1916, notwithstanding the fact that Villa's faction had not been formally recognized during the Mexican Revolution of the day as the government of Mexico. Filibusterers who tried from American territory to conquer Cuba in 1851, Baja California in 1853, Nicaragua in 1855, and Canada in 1866 were undeniably invaders, notwithstanding their non-state actor status. The Mexican drug cartels have, by this stage, reached a level of quasi-sovereign control over more than a third of Mexico's territory. That raises legitimate question of whether their operations across the border into the United States can legitimately be considered an invasion. This is not merely a matter of political rhetoric, but constitutional law. The Compact Clause, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the Constitution states, quote, No state shall, without the consent of Congress, engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Joshua Trevino of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, full disclosure, Josh is a really good friend of mine, and I would inarguably not be doing what I'm doing today but for him. Josh, the TPPF, argues in a research paper, the historical meaning of invaded may be satisfied by current cartel activity 
triggering the constitutional power of Texas to act in its own defense up to and including acts that might be construed as waging war. But that standard is not lightly met. The meaning of invasion under the U.S. Constitution involves two core concepts, entry and enmity. That is, the invasion must involve both physical ingress into a state, that is, entry, and the intent by the invader to act as an enemy to that state, that is, enmity. Notably, entrants need not occupy territory or attack with or against military forces to meet the threshold of enmity. While invasion is most often and aptly used to describe the hostile military action of one nation against another and thereby typically excludes the action of rogue individuals and roving gangs, it can also describe and has been authoritatively used in American history to describe the actions of non-state actors like pirates and barbarians. The crucial qualification is not the size or equipment or even sovereignty of the invading force, but its willingness and capacity to commit hostile acts against the state or its people. It is worth pointing out that entering the territory of a state for the sake of engaging in unlawful trade, committing acts of violence against rival gangs, or engaging in criminal activity on a scale that falls within the bounds of what the trespass state's police powers can ordinarily handle are not acts that fall within the scope of enmity as constitutionally defined. Merely unlawful entry, in other words, doesn't qualify as enmity. And only entry plus enmity, as we have said, constitutes invasion. Recent and disturbing instances of cartel members showing violent contempt for U.S. sovereignty along the border certainly strengthen the case, as do rising fentanyl deaths. But we must underline that just as the unlawful entry of pirates into a jurisdiction was by itself insufficient to constitute an invasion during the founding era, so too the unlawful entry of criminal groups into a jurisdiction is by itself insufficient to constitute an invasion at present. Now, where does all this go? Essentially, the argument is that we're moving more and more to the point of the drug cartels acting as invaders. They're not just coming across the border to commit crimes. They actually are coming across the border, engaging in something that could allow Texas to go to war. The purpose of the compact clause is not to carve out a domain in which states hold the ultimate authority on whether the United States or part of it should go to war, but rather to provide authority for states to exercise war powers during emergencies pending an appeal to Congress for its decision and aid. The clause's purpose, in other words, cannot be to alter the principle that Congress decides matters of peace and war, but rather to cover situations in which Congress cannot make a decision in time, such as in the case of an invasion that is already occurring. For there is no reason to believe that the framers introduced the compact clause in order to depart from their foundational principle that the United States must speak with one matter on matters of one voice on matters of war and peace. Had they done so, they would have given every state the unreviewable power, as Federalist 42 puts it, to embroil the Confederacy with foreign nations, and would have therefore critically undermined the very unity of the federal constitution that was designed to ensure. It follows then that once the federal government makes a decision regarding the situation of a particular state, the decision is final. It is therefore incumbent on states that believe they have been invaded by hostile bands to seek immediate aid and direction from Congress, which retains the ultimate legal authority in matters relating to war. Now, where does this head? I would argue, and I believe that uh, the Texas Public Policy Foundation is, is in that direction as well, 
that what the drug cartels are doing on our border actually does amount to an invasion. They are not only coming across the border, but they are hiring Americans to aid them in their efforts to smuggle not just drugs, but human trafficking victims. They have begun firing on American law enforcement and Border Patrol personnel. They are harassing law enforcement in uh, jurisdictions along the border, threatening lives of public servants. I've mentioned this before. Had a neighbor. I, we could sit out on our front porch tonight. We have a, a vacant lot. It's wooded between us and the house next door. You could sit on the front porch at night and you could smell marijuana somewhere. And it didn't really smell like someone was was smoking it. It didn't have that smell. It was just, just a light smell on the breeze. Like someone somewhere was growing a lot of marijuana. When you land in Denver, a lot of those Carpet warehouses aren't actually carpet warehouses. They're growth. They're growing warehouses for marijuana. They're not allowed to grow in the open in Colorado. They got to be in these warehouses, and they disguise them as like furniture outlets and carpet warehouses to prevent crime. But you can smell it on the breeze. That's what it smelled like there. And around this time, neighbors whose cars were unlocked were having guns taken of their cars. Now I don't know for the life of me why you leave your gun in your car unlocked at night, but my neighbors were a lot of them. And the guns were going missing. Philip and I were up at our affiliate up in Athens, Georgia, a while back. Uh, and my wife called Philip because I was on the radio and says, has he made people mad today? Philip's like, I don't know why. Well, there was a police deputy blocking our driveway and then another one in the cul-de-sac. And she just assumed it was for us. No, no, they were raiding the drug lord who lived next door. They had tied the man to an 18-wheeler and had 18 to $20 million of fentanyl, meth, and cocaine. Turns out the guy was working for the drug cartels, and he was one of the chief distributors up and down the eastern seaboard. He started in the southeast, was making his way up to Washington, D.C. He was running a grow house under his house. Turns out his wife had the kids going through the neighborhood late at night. Uh, stealing guns from cars, and they were filing the serial number, selling them on the black market. They're both in prison now for a good long while. The house has been sold. New neighbors have come in, nice people. Uh, I don't think they had any idea what was going on in this house before they bought it. But it was right there, and this guy was connected to the drug cartels. This has happened around the country. While my buddy Chip Roy, the congressman from Texas, was on the border last year, uh, they arrested an American citizen from, I believe, Oklahoma, who was on the payroll of the drug cartels and was trying to smuggle human sex trafficking victims into this country in the trunk of his car. This is an invasion by the Mexican drug cartels. And Texas is not getting any help from the federal government. The Biden administration refuses to acknowledge the problem because if they did, they would have to address their failures to secure the border. So they've chosen not to look at it. It seems like the time is right for Texas to militarily, with its National Guard, work to secure its own border. I think they have the legal option to do so. And this is not getting any better because Democrats in Washington have decided if Republicans are upset about it, it must not be a bad thing. That's what both parties are doing at this point in this country is if Democrats are mad about something, Republicans think it's a good thing. And if Republicans are mad about something, Democrats think it's a good thing. And no one's actually paying attention to what's actually happening. A a mother or a grandmother and grandchild 
were killed recently because of a in a police chase. The police were chasing an illegal alien who was trafficking humans into the United States. And the guy slammed into the grandmother and granddaughter, killing him instantly. He hit him with such high speed. This is happening more and more around the country. And meanwhile, we have more and more adults and children in this country who are dying of fentanyl that's coming in from Mexico. And our policymakers in Washington just seem oblivious to it. The Biden administration seems oblivious to it. We have so many people in this country already who have lost hope, have fallen into despair, and have become addicts and are dying. The death rate in the United States now outpaces all the other G7 countries, and it's suicides and drug overdoses. People in the country have given up on the country, and you'll excuse me for looking at what Washington is doing to the border and thinking Joe Biden's administration has given up on the country too. They don't even think our territorial border and our sovereignty matter. If the Biden administration acts like they've given up on America, you can't expect Americans to not think they should give up on America. I, however, have not given up on America, and I hope you haven't either. We can and should do better, and in doing better, we should defend our border, and it is time to go to war with the drug cartels. It is time to treat them as a state enemy and rain held down on them from the American military. And that the Biden administration has chosen not to do so will be a damning indictment on his tenure in office in history. He will not go down as the Jimmy Carter of American history. He'll go down as the James Buchanan of American history. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets. The highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness. 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference. And I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Branch sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for Cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something, a substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot during the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Bowling Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews. Right now, get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlingBranch.com. That's BowlingBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Howdy, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Open line Friday, the phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, get ready for gas prices to go up. It's another reason we're probably going to see the Fed continue to raise interest rates. Global demand for oil is on track to rise to a record 101.9 barrels, million barrels per day as China leads an economic surge among developing nations. The International Energy Agency's predicted daily average for 2023 is 2 million barrels per day higher than last year's figure. The price of a barrel of oil rose from $85.62 to $86.10 on Friday morning. 
The agency warned that a recent decision by the world's biggest oil exporters to cut production could drive oil prices higher in a blow to efforts to reduce inflation and reset economic growth in developed nations. This is a a real problem. I actually, I want to talk about this realignment when we come back because the Biden administration is the media is so loath to condemn the Biden administration because they're so scared of Donald Trump coming back. It is skewed. Even a media that that leans to the left and has been biased to the left has at least in the past been more critical of things that are clearly going wrong at the national level. And they're not here. They're in, in CYA mode for Joe Biden's administration. And what Joe Biden is doing is a Jimmy Carter-esque foreign policy that is on the global stage disastrous because sometimes your nation has to be allied with people who do not necessarily share your values. And Joe Biden has decided it is democracies versus the rest of the world. Well, guess what? There are fewer democracies in the world than there are authoritarian uh, nations. And China and Russia are wooing those nations. Joe Biden's administration is actively working to marginalize the United States on the world stage, and we are going to pay a price. And we're starting to see it already with the cost of a barrel of oil as Saudi Arabia leans more and more towards Russia and towards China. One of the revelations of the intel leaks was that Egypt was starting to conspire with the Russians to sell them weapons to use in Ukraine. Egypt used to be our ally, and Joe Biden has turned them towards the Russians. And yes, Biden did that. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. It's an open line Friday. If you want to call in and be a part of the program, you're more than welcome to. The number is 877-973-7425. Uh, I want to go back to the phones, relevant question on the oil pricing from Vicki. Welcome to the show, Vicki. How are you? Um, good, thanks. What's going um, on? I was curious because I haven't heard anyone talk recently about the oil reserves, and I just wasn't sure if we're still using those up or what's happening with that. So they've been rather depleted by the Biden administration, which now has to find time to fill them up. Um, they have not yet filled them up, I, I don't believe, um, but they're they're no longer withdrawing from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Uh, they had done that, uh, and now it's just a matter of finding time. They sadly, uh, they just Trump wanted to fill them up when it was twenty three dollars a barrel, and now it's over eighty dollars a barrel. And the Biden administration is trying to figure out uh, how they can afford to fill back up. They've they've largely used the us up. I, I'm looking right now, as a matter of fact, uh, Vicky at uh, CNBC. West Texas crude right now is up um, $82.52 a barrel. Uh, we That's going to spark more energy cost inflation in the country, which is not good. I, I want to explain some of this to you so you understand what's happening. When Jimmy Carter was president of the United States and he and – Joe Biden have had a long friendship, and Joe Biden admired Carter greatly for Jimmy Carter's human rights record. When Jimmy Carter was president, he decided we were going to navigate American foreign policy based on the human rights of countries we were dealing with, which sounds very good, except the reality is there are lots of parts of the world 
where there are lots of bad men that we still have to deal with. When Joe Biden became president, he forgot all that and has decided to go back to Jimmy Carter's presidency. The result is what is happening around the world. It's not just me. It's Ross Douthat pointing this out at the New York Times and others. The world is realigning against the United States and the West, and it has a lot to do with Joe Biden's foreign policy. By demanding that the United States only deal on an even playing field with other democracies, the reality is that a lot of the world isn't a democracy, and those parts of the world tend to have access to minerals and oil and the like that we need. Because Joe Biden is not humoring those nations, they're looking to Russia and China for leadership. You can hold your head high and say, well, I will not deal with Saudi Arabia. Look what they did to Jamal Khashoggi. That's fine. But if you choose to do that, Saudi Arabia will not deal with you. And Saudi Arabia has something that you don't have. That's called oil. And you say, well, I don't need the oil. We're going to transition to electric vehicles. Well, that's fine. But you don't have the lithium because your environmental movement won't let you dig the mines. So you have to deal with China. And China and Saudi Arabia are dealing more and more together. It is a profound naivete of American uh, progressives to think that we can only deal with people and nations who are pure as the driven snow, who share our values. That's not true. There are nations with awful dictators who are cruel to their people, who have access to resources that we need. And in the long history of the United States, with the exceptions of Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden, this nation on a bipartisan basis has realized sometimes you must hold your nose and do business with those dictators and coddle them because it is better that we succeed than that our adversaries succeed. So it is better that we are allies with those awful people than our enemies are allies with those awful people. The enemy of our enemy is our friend in these circumstances, and we used to understand that. And Joe Biden's administration has decided to turn its back on that knowledge. You can hold your head high and say, thank God for Joe Biden not humoring these dictators, but those dictators have now decided to give their oil and their lithium to China and not us. So you're going to pay a price. No, I don't like it. No, I, I wish we could change them, and maybe over time we can. But if we're not going to deal with them and give them a seat at the table, there's not even a way to change them. The other problem, as Ross that notes in his New York Times piece, is that Joe Biden has decided to, to translate all of this domestically and internationally together. That, you know, the Republicans are authoritarian and Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. And, well, the Republicans are looking at Hungary, so Hungary must be a, is a threat to democracy. And, therefore, we're not going to deal with Hungary either. We're going to alienate that country. And we're going to alienate the Turks, who are a NATO ally, because, well, we don't like the Turks now because he's increasingly authoritarian. You know what happens? The Turks and the Russians, who have a history of, uh, of animosity towards each other, are now starting to collaborate in ways they shouldn't because Turkey is a NATO ally. 
but Joe Biden has treated the Turks who aren't do not have a good government, do not have a good president. He's not a good person, but he is nominally one of our allies. And if we're not willing to treat him as such, he is going to go to the Russians. And guess what? We have American military installations in Turkey. That's going to be painful for us. We used to understand these things. We used to recognize it was not smart for us to pursue a foreign policy that alienated less than savory regimes who happened to also be useful to us. You may not like the idea of that, but it's necessary for us as a nation to oftentimes do things like that for the good of the nation. We used to ally with dictatorships in Central and South America that we didn't particularly care for, but we knew that we could contain them if we were friends with them in ways that other countries would not. And many of those countries kept the communists out of Central and South America. I mentioned this Ross Douthat piece. Let, let me read part of this to you. Last fall, eight months into the new world disorder created by Vladimir Putin's invasion of K Ukraine, the University of Cambridge's Bennett Institute for Public Policy produced a long report on trends in global public opinion before and after the outbreak. Not surprisingly, the data showed the conflict had shifted public sentiment in developed democracies in East Asia and Europe, as well as the United States, uniting their citizens against both Russia and China. But outside this democratic bloc, the trend was very different. For a decade before the Ukraine war, public opinion across vast swaths of countries stretching from continental Eurasia to the north and west of Africa had become more favorable to Russia, even as Western public opinion became more hostile. Similarly, people in Europe, the Anglosphere, and the Pacific Rim democracies like Japan and South Korea all turned against China, but China was regarded much more favorably across the Middle East, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Central Asia. Putin's war in Ukraine shifted these trends only at the margins. The reading of the geopolitical landscape has found vindication in the months since. Outside the Anglosphere in Europe, the attempts to quarantine the Russian economy have found little sustained support. Russian military forces are active across Africa. Moscow is finding willing energy buyers from South Asia to Latin America. It's not clear that the Biden administration has a grand strategy calibrated to this reality. While the White House has resisted some hawkish calls for escalating brinksmanship with Moscow, it has tended to accept the hawkish portrait of a geopolitical landscape increasingly divided between democracy and autocracy, liberalism and authoritarianism. Witness, for instance, Biden's recently convened summit for democracy, which deliberately excluded two NATO allies, Hungary and Turkey, because they're considered worrisome examples of democratic backsliding. As Walter Russell Meade noted in the Wall Street Journal, this framing clearly describes international reality to some degree. It also fits with Biden's domestic political message, which conflates an international fight for liberal democracy with an internal struggle against a populist GOP. But as Meade went on to argue, this crusade for democracy vision risks being strategically self-defeating. Abroad, you simply cannot build the alliances required to contain China or Russia if you can't work with countries that don't embrace Anglo-American liberalism or Eurocrat proceduralism. You need a way to deal constructively not just with monarchies and military rulers, 
but also with the political models variously described as populism or illiberal democracy or soft authoritarianism with leaders in the style of Narendra Modi of India and Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, if you don't want the world to belong to the hardened authoritarianism of Moscow or the techno-totalitarianism of Beijing. Likewise, at home, you cannot rally sustained bipartisan support for a pro-democracy grand strategy if you're constantly linking the strategy to your conflict with your democratic political, domestic political opponents, or for that matter, if you're constantly linking it to values that are the province of only your own political coalition. A grand strategy that equates democracy simplistically with social liberalism or progressivism is never going to get sustained buy-in from Republicans, and it will always be hostage to the next election cycle. The last point is crucial to understand America's global challenge as well. Some liberal hawks might like to believe the challenge of a liberalism is primarily a challenge of regimes imposed by, on unwilling populations. The Middle Eastern, African, and Central Asian elites are favorable to Russia and China because they want to imitate their ruthless model. But that's not true. Down to the base voters of those countries, the citizenry, they're more amenable to the hardline authoritarians. Our country's democratic, diplomatic core used to understand that trade was the way to woo authoritarian nations into an alliance with us. Ironically, it's China that's now doing that, not us. The Biden administration doesn't want to do trade deals with authoritarian regimes. The result is those authoritarian regimes are going to do business with China. That undermines us around the world. It allows China to get a foothold in these countries to build and expand military bases and the like. This is all Joe Biden's doing. Donald Trump got that you had to deal with unsavory characters. Even Barack Obama understood that. But Joe Biden, obsessed with being the second coming of Jimmy Carter, has forgotten that. And Jimmy Carter served one term and nearly went, made the United States go bankrupt with an oil embargo. These are not wise people in charge in Washington in this administration. But again, the American public has shown time and again they would rather put up with Joe Biden than crazy people on the right. And if the right continues to go down the crazy rabbit hole with stolen election conspiratorial nonsense and Donald Trump, they're going to keep getting Joe Biden reelected. It's what Joe Biden is banking on is that the Republicans renominate Donald Trump because almost every poll that's out there still shows Joe Biden doing better against Trump than literally any other Republican. He's banking on Republicans siding with Donald Trump. And if they do, don't be surprised if Joe Biden's able to capitalize on that. Maybe a recession will throw him off his game. But I think the GOP has the opportunity to boot Joe Biden. Literally, he loses to any Republican other than the one named Trump. The Republicans should think about that. You should think about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get the three-pack by going to EdenPureDeals.com and putting Eric in on the website. It gives you a little radio host discount code box. You put in E-R-I-C-K. You get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. It's EdenPureDeals.com. That's the website. What's the Eden Pure Thunderstorm? It's an air purifier. It is filterless has an electrostatic plate you just wipe out on occasion so you're not sucking yourself into some subscription service. 
where it shines is wiping out odors. Wipes out a lot of great odors. A lot of great odors. It does a great job of wiping out odors. How about that? Litter box odors, pet odors, smoke odors, cooking odors, musty odors, you name it. It will eliminate those odors from your house or a hotel room, even a car. You can plug it in with a USB cord. You can plug it in directly to the wall. It's slightly bigger than your hand. It's easy to travel with. I travel with one all the time in case a rental car or a hotel stinks. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm packs a wallop, and you get three of them upstairs, downstairs, your basement, your car, your RV, wherever you need them. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. And then the discount code is just Eric, just my name, E-R-I-C-K, at EdenPureDeals.com. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you want your business to grow and need access to $750,000 or more and other lenders are giving you a runaround, reach out to First Liberty. They make their own lending decisions. They've been doing this since the 90s. The Frost family gets helping businesses grow. So if you're buying a building or building a building or expanding or buying a franchise, FirstLibertyGA.com, they can help you nationwide. FirstLibertyGA.com. See, I got time here to go to Sean. Uh, Sean, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. Good, Eric. Uh, how are you today? I'm good. Hey, I uh, I love your show, but I just wanted to ask, uh, do you think the Biden administration's policy towards the and favoritism towards the trans community has an, has it in any way alienated some of these uh, countries that are uh, turning against us in a way? And because and, and, I I seem somewhat believe that it's a problem with our and causing problems with our foreign relations. Well, I, I, I don't know that the dictatorial types care that much. Um, not that it goes on to their countries. Although, I mean, if you're a, a Muslim country and you see the insanity on the, in the West right now, you probably are more likely to be aligned with a Russia at the same time though. Uh, they have to deal with a, a China that uh, enslaves the Uyghur population that's Muslim and is seeking to exterminate them. So trade-offs around the world. I, I actually think Western democracies get more worked up about this stuff than a lot of dictatorships do. Uh, the dictators don't particularly care. The dictators just want to continue to be a dictator. In the United States, however, in Canada and the like, these progressive social issues matter way more than anything else. The United States is less likely to do business with a detestable uh, dictator than a dictator is to do business with us because the dictator would love to have our money and the American brand, but we just don't want to get our hands dirty because of of concerns about human rights abuses and the like. I would love to say the whole world could get beyond human rights abuses and we should be able to turn our nose up and refuse to help countries that have human rights abuses, but that's just not the way the world works. In your leftist utopia, that might be what you think we can do, and you may try to do it, but it's going to end very badly for you because there are more of them than there are of us. That's just the reality. We used to know this. We used to get this. We used to fundamentally understand the world dynamic. Even, I mean, Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, but they kind of understood on a foreign policy level that there were unsavory regimes you still had to be friends with 
to be able to get from them the things we need, like rare earth minerals and oil. But Jimmy Carter never got that, and now Joe Biden doesn't want to get that, and now we're all going to pay a price for it because Joe Biden wants us all in electric vehicles. He doesn't care about the price of oil. Remember, they got through 2022. They didn't have a lot of repercussions at the ballot box, so they decided they can use abortion and threats to democracy and they can scare American voters to stay with them, and people will ignore the price of a barrel of oil. I think that's a fundamental miscalculation on their part, but they're sure as heck going to try it and just decide that, well, you know, I mean, people aren't going to vote Republican. We can do whatever we want, and they're still not going to vote for Republican. And that is going to fatally undermine Democrats at the ballot box, I suspect, because voters ultimately will care.